This podcast contains graphic and explicit content, as well as all of the spoilers a movie has to offer. Listener discretion is advised. So here's the problem with that, where we watch every sci-fi movie ever made and tell you what's wrong with their sci and their fi. My name is Emily, and I'm a movie fan. And my name is Neil, and I'm a PhD candidate in high energy experiment. Hi, Neil. How are you? It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, as they say. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Yes. Would you be mine? I I would love to, actually, but I don't think I could afford any house in this area. I mean, there is that. There are... There are pros and cons of buying a house pre-pandemic. A big pro is that it was pre-pandemic and we had a big enough house to, you know, not be near each other if need be. Yep. And a con? A con is that now we owe so much money. (laughs) There's so much money over my head. But that's fine. Everything's fine. Nobody's panicking. Classic. Oh my gosh. Neil. Yes. Would you... Please remind the folks at home, because everyone obviously has listened to our mini-sode that yep. dropped not last week, but the week before. Yep. Would you please remind the folks at home what movie we will be watching this week? Yes. This week, we are watching Moonfall, which is um, going to be a hell of a ride, folks. It's going to be tell a you what. doozy. It's going to be... A, all right. Here's the synopsis so you understand how hellish of a ride this will be. In Moonfall, a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. With mere weeks before impact and the world on the brink of annihilation, NASA executive and former astronaut Joe Fowler is convinced she has the key to saving us all. But only one astronaut from her past, Brian Harper, and a conspiracy theorist, Casey Houseman, believe her. These unlikely heroes will mount an impossible last-ditch mission into space, leaving behind everyone they love, only to find that they just might have prepared for the wrong mission. Dun, dun, dun! I'm so excited, you guys! I'm... I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready... Mentally, physically? Well, physically, maybe. (laughs) Mentally, I think so. Emotionally? Definitely not, actually. (laughs) Definitely not emotionally ready to watch this. It's going to be a hell of a thing. I cannot put into words. As soon as I saw the trailer for this, I, like... Was like wh- I what what is happening? I didn't even get through the trailer. No, for this. Yeah. it's like a minute and a half I know. long. Oh, I that know. makes it even better. There's gonna be so many more surprises. It's I look. I'm going into this movie about as like have not seen a movie as you can possibly have not seen a movie, other than I have heard of this movie and a couple of my friends have seen it already, and they have not spoiled it for me. But they did tell me it was the worst movie they've ever seen. I love it. So I think this is going to be a heck of a thing. This is going to be a heck of a thing. So a few facts about Moonfall. As we mentioned in our mini-sode, this is the first, like, quote-unquote, modern or up-to-date? What's the word I'm looking for? 
Uh, Newest movie. Recent. Most recent. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. the word. This is uh, the most recent movie we will have watched. This released in theaters February 4th of 2022. So it's what? May? Early May now. Yep. So it's only been out for a handful of months. Yeah, three months. So um, I'm so I'm so excited. So this runs two hours and ten minutes. It is rated PG-13 for violence, disaster action, strong language, and some drug use. Would you like to read the taglines? Yes, I will read the taglines. In 2022, humanity will face the dark side of the moon. And here's the new one. And Earth... Ellipses... We have a problem. <laughs> I think those taglines tell us everything we need to know about. It's going to be awful. Movie. It's going to I'm so ready for it to be just the worst. I am as well. Uh genre tags. Action, adventure, sci-fi. So there's I don't think they're going to throw us a t- too many curveballs. Probably not. I, I I feel like I have a good idea of like what I'm getting into. Mm-hmm. I'm just not quite ready for how bad it's going to be. Mhm. I I know. Uh, so this movie was directed by Roland Emmerich, who has been around for a, a whole while now. He, I believe, wrote and directed Independence Day. Classic. That's actually a great movie. Actually, if it's is, not on the list, say if it's it not might, on the list, it should be. Because that is, be. that is actually a fun, bad movie. Yes, that it's, oh my God, it's so much fun. Um, similar, but different is the 1998 Godzilla starring Matthew Broderick. Have not seen it. Widely uh, regarded as one of the worst. Just hands down, one of the worst. I saw it when I was eight years old and I remember fucking loving that movie. Look, you're eight. It's a giant like lizard spawned by Mother Earth to like combat pollution. Yeah. 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 It's, It's great concept. It's just a great concept in general. Right. And the fact that they fucked it up is sad. It's it's a shame, but they came back. Like, they came back yeah, strong. Yeah, the most yeah, recent yeah. ones were super fun. Kong oh, vs. Yeah. Godzilla, Ooh. super fun. Um, oh, The Day After Tomorrow, Roland Emmerich directed. Truly one of my favorite movies. It is, what's, is the day, The Day After Tomorrow isn't The Edge of Tomorrow, no. right? With, um, with Tom with Cruise. With Tom Cruise? No. Okay. That is, they are two different movies. Um, what is The Day After the Tomorrow? The Day After Tomorrow is, uh, the planet dis- destroys itself because of our pollution, because oh. of global warming. Oh. It all hits in about 24 hours, and the whole top oh. of the planet goes into a deep freeze. I do truly love this movie. Oh, do you is this? Remember this? Yeah, 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 I do. Because this is like it's the. It's got like, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's yes, got, um, yes, yes, yes. It's Dennis the, Quaid. It's it's where like they coin like one of the first instances of coining the term like polar vortex or some nonsense like that. It's from Shut like. Shut the fuck up. That's like, where they came from. I, I kind of want to say yes. Awesome. But I think this is like one of those early. It's like early 2010s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like 2012. Something like that. Somewhere in there. But uh, I no, actually... No, it was earlier than that because I was in high school. Okay. Because so, I, yeah. I watched this in middle school. Okay. Uh, we watched it as a like, hey, pollution is going to do this. Yeah. And I was watching it and I was like, this is not how any of this works. And I'm a like seventh grader. Like, <laughs> so, what do you mean? So here's <laughs> the thing is I would obviously love nothing more than to put this on the list, but... Listeners at home, we need a climate scientist who is willing to come on this podcast and watch it with us because this is outside of your scope. It will. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And actually, I have a friend. 
Shut the fuck up. Who is who is uh, studying? He's getting his PhD in um, specifically environmental physics. So he does a lot of like environmental modeling and like modeling on on like really large scale of like planetary scale. Not quite planetary, but he did um, he did when he was in college work on a a project where he was simulating um, weather patterns over the India subcontinent and parts of the India Indian That's Ocean. So cool. Yeah. So we could probably get him on. He's on a couple other podcasts too. So oh, I think man. he would probably be down for this. If he's in, I would love that. Because again, this is one of my favorite movies. Unfortunately, he does not live here right now. Oh. So it would be a little tough. Eh, we'll make it work. But we'll 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 find a way. Yeah. yeah. There's no rush on this. No. The planet's not dying or anything. It's oh, totally uh-huh. fine. Uh-huh. Totally fine. Uh-huh. Um, okay, I swear I'm almost done with Roland Emmerich. He's just done some doozies, you guys. Um, the one I didn't know about. So I knew about Independence Day, Godzilla, and The Day After Tomorrow. I knew that. But he is one of the original creators of the Stargate series. Huh. Have you Have you seen Stargate? I have seen, I have seen some of Stargate. He had I the watched, original idea. I watched the, the original movie. Oh, with, um, oh my God. What's his name with the hair? Uh, yeah. Kurt Russell. Russell. Sure. Yep. Um, I actually really enjoyed that movie and I kind of think it should go on the list if it's not on there. It's, I don't think it is. Um, making a list of things to add to the list. Uh, what was Stargate? It was, there was Stargate SG-1. There was Stargate Atlantis, which gave us Jason Momoa. Yep. Uh, I think it was actually Stargate SG-1 that I saw a good amount of. Okay. Um, just because it was like on cable when I was like hanging out at people's houses that had cable. That makes sense. Makes sense. So. So that's Roland Emmerich. So he is known for giant blockbuster CG heavy disaster films. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we're going to get. Okay. This film was written by Roland Emmerich, Harold Closer, and Spencer Cohen. So... I'm going to say closer. It might be closer. I'm not positive. But he also wrote on a previous Emmerich Films 2012. Do you remember when that came out? Yep. Yeah, that was also not good. Yeah, and... that that recycled, like, footage from Al Gore's, like, environment campaign. Yeah. Which was fun. That movie was rough. And I'm a big fan of these giant CG movies. That was a rough one. And yeah. I have a feeling this one's probably going to be just as bad. Um, he also wrote on 10,000 BC, which I remember po- the poster yep, in the movie theater, and that's about it. I and never people went to not see it. liking it. That's yeah. what I remember. Um, but mostly, he's a composer who has composed the music for basically all of Emmerich's films. Oh, interesting. Right? And he did all the music for the Alien vs. Predator films, too. Nice. Which I was kind of neat. Um, Including, like, Prometheus and, and like, those ones? Uh, Alien versus Predator specifically, the oh, AVP okay. series. Okay. 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 Um, so I don't think I don't think he did Prometheus. I could be wrong. But uh, so this is Cohen's first big movie. But he was also a screenwriter on Expendables Four, which is coming Bad. out next year. Bad. I think. But here's the thing: is he's the nephew of David Page, Page, who who is in the band Toto. Oh, nice. So in this film, we are going to hear Toto's Africa. And the reason it. we hear that is because of um, Spencer Cohen. So that's going to be pretty much pretty fun. So this movie has a shockingly good cast for 
how bad that's going to be. Um, number one billing, Halle Berry. Queen, wow. love her so much. Her, how did they, how did she agree? She read the script for this, right? Here's the thing is after her Oscar, she started making not stellar decisions. And this really feels like just one of them, a culmination of all oh, the bad no. decisions that have come before. Um, so she did die another day. Yep. Classic James Bond Catwoman. Again, fucking classic. Die Another Day was actually the first James Bond movie I ever... No shit. Yeah, like like the first one that I saw uh, I that was like modern at the time. I don't know that I've ever seen it, actually, as I'm thinking. It is good. Yeah. There's a giant I, space laser in that one, too. Hey, hey, space laser. Uh-huh. Can it go on the list? Uh, look, if we're... Like I said about franchises, if we're gonna do a, like a movie franchise, we can only do one from the franchise. What else has James Bond ever done in space? There might be something. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. I'll look it I think up. I think we should I think we should be a little selective about which James Bond I movie we fair. pick. Listeners, let us know. Uh, find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. Let us know what James Bond movie we should do that has the most science in it. Yeah, most science, please. Don't don't pick like Casino Royale. Oh, it's such a good movie. Though. It's a look. It's a great movie, but there's very little to no science in that movie. This is true. There is a small amount of math in the gambling that they do, and that's it. Yeah. No, I think that would would not be great. Um, okay. Another uh, fucking classic Halle Berry movie. This is the movie that I learned about her for the first time. Was The Flintstones, starring John Goodman oh. as Fred Flintstone. What? Uh, Rosie O'Donnell was um, the one in blue. Betty? I think it's Betty. Yeah. It's so bad. Wow. It's so bad. It's amazing and it's perfect. And Halle Berry what is did, a sexy cave woman. When did Halle Berry get her Oscar? 2001, I want to say. For what movie? For Monster's Ball. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's 2001. It's like early 2000s. Um, she was also Storm in the quote-unquote good X-Men movies. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm putting those in hard quotes because I, I remember them being amazing. But again, I was very young. Um, and then finally, if you haven't seen it, Swordfish is an early hacker movie. And it's not good, but I think I love it. And it's okay. got Hugh Jackman and they're tip-tapping away on their keyboards hacking things. And no. it's really fun. Um, so also in Moonfall is Patrick Wilson. I know him f- mostly from the Phantom of the Opera movie. I don't know if you were at all aware when that no. movie came out. It was a big moment for me because it's one of my absolute favorite musicals of all time. Nice. Um, and he... It is, I think, the most famous musical of all time. It's up there. It's the longest running. And has the most shows. Ah, well, there yeah. you go. That doesn't shock me. I mean, he's been on Broadway for fucking 25 years or something yeah. crazy like that. Uh, more than that. 30 years. Neither here nor there. So he was in that movie along with uh, Gerard Butler. Mm, he's going to be in another movie that we're going to see called Geostorm. Oh, it's... I've heard about Geostorm. Oh, yes. It oh, is... this sounded... I, I want to watch Geostorm, actually. I think that's going to be a great movie. I think it's... I mean, it's in not the same, good. In the same category that this is going to be a, a great thousand movie. percent. Like, yeah. if we had thought ahead and, like, made time and maybe just blocked off an entire weekend, we could have double-featured Geostorm and sure. Moonfall, and I think that would have been great. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Patrick Wilson was also in the Watchmen movies, not the awesome TV show on HBO, the bad movie. What? Yeah, it was not good. That was That's not a good. lie. It is not a good movie. It is a great movie. 
Describe great. It, I, I, and it is remarkably true to the book and improves on the ending of the graphic That's novel. That's fair. It do, is a better ending. They do a great job with all the animations for Dr. Manhattan. They did a great job of casting literally everyone in that movie. Like, what are you talking about? It was a bad movie. I did not like it. And I love that comic book. I was not pleased. I will agree with you. The animation on Dr. Manhattan was great. Changing the ending, definitely for the best. Yeah. But, oof. And Look, Patrick they, Wilson, unfortunately, was not a shining star in that movie. They, no, he wasn't. But they could have probably, I think the only thing they could have done is cast Ozymandias a little bit better. Uh, yeah. I think he was the only character that I was like, this is like remarkably true to the to the graphic novel, but honestly, they could have done a better job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what else? Oh, he's also been in all of the Insidious movies, which number five is coming out, which I did not realize they were up to that number already. And he's been in all of the Conjuring movies. Mm-hmm. There's got to be 45 Conjuring movies, like because that includes the Annabelle movies, oh, The God. Nun. Like the Conjuring franchise is huge. Wow. Um, and he was also in Aquaman, which is just delightful. Again. I, I can't decide if he's a good actor or not. And I don't think yeah. this movie's going to put too many ticks in his favor. No. So um, the other main actor is John Bradley, who plays not Samwise Gamgee from Game of Thrones. That's basically all he's been in. He's been in a few things here and there, but nothing to the level of Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, yeah. So those are the main main folks. Uh, the numbers game? Is it time for the numbers game? I think it might be time for the numbers time game. Time for the numbers game. Numbers game. It's a numbers game. I'm so excited. Okay, so, Neil. Yeah. We have an estimated $150 million. That's too much money for such a bad movie. And it is, this is going to come up in my, um, in my fun facts soon here. But it is the highest grossing independent film, or not highest grossing, the highest budget independent okay. film potentially ever. And that... the previous holder, a record holder, was Phantom of the Opera. Fun fact. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let us, so like I said, about roughly, we're not positive, about $150 million. What do you think? The opening weekend in just U.S. and Canada was? Uh, 27 million. Would you like to guess a much lower number? Oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank no, God. No, no, no. I'm going to spoil this right now. They did not make their money back. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine that they would have. Um, how about $6 million? Okay, higher than six. Okay, okay. Um... 9.5 million final answer. So fucking close. 9.8. Nice. Look at you. All right. So yeah, opening weekend of just shy of $10 million. Would you like to guess the gross worldwide? Okay. I'm going to skip domestic because yep. that's not fun. Yep. The worldwide. How yep. much money it has made so far? So again, this release two date three two three date. months ago. Yeah. Like it, it has only been out for three months. But it's no longer in theaters. It's no longer in theaters, and it grossed nine point eight million in the U.S. and Canada on opening weekend. So I'm gonna guess 
a total gross of um 22 million dollars total gross that is too low would you like to guess a higher number a much higher number a much higher number uh how about 42 million dollars oh you're so close it's 43.9 nice so i i found one funny thing in the wikipedia but i can't find it again it was just how much they made in one day and it was like seven hundred thousand dollars in nice. in the first day when it released or something I, it was something crazy like that i love it um so that was fantastic so i actually got my shit together neil okay and i found some fun facts nice i was very excited and proud of myself so like i mentioned before one of the most expensive independently produced films of all time so that means it does not um come through a major uh production house like um, I don't know, Columbia or Paramount or anything like that. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, exactly. Disney. Um, to get financial backing, Roland Emmerich went to the Cannes Film Festival. Cannes. Cannes, um, which is one of the most prestigious film festivals yep. on the planet. And yep. he's like, give me money so I can blow up the moon. And some people said yes, which blows my fucking mind. Look, there are a lot of people out there who are really rich, who have nothing better to do with their money, and they could sneeze for a half a million dollars, and they would not give two shits. Wouldn't even notice, no. Um, so because he did this independently, he gets 50% of the profits for this. So whatever they got... I mean, I don't know how much profits they got because they yeah. didn't make back their money. Yeah. But whatever they got, allegedly he gets 50%. So that's I, fucking crazy. I am really curious to see how, like, to know how that would have worked. Yeah. Because I, I don't, I want to know how much money, like, like, investors in the film, like, get out of that. Does right? he even get anything or does, does he, he just... owe them money or something? Uh, I, I would bet not, but... I would I would say that he probably didn't actually make any money on this film personally. That's probably fair. Or I bet you he got a salary, but nothing nothing over that would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um so this was filmed in October of 2020, which there was a couple things going on. Yep. It was originally slated to start in spring, so like April 2020, yep. and they had to delay for some odd reason. It's the craziest thing. Wow. Um Michael Peña is going to be in this movie. Um, folks at home might know him. He's been working absolutely forever, but he, uh, had some standout roles in the Ant-Man series. Oh. Um, people really enjoy his recaps. He's very fast and very funny. Um, anyway, he's in this movie and he's replacing Stanley Tucci, which I love Michael Pena, but those are two different levels of actors. Yeah. Because Stanley Tucci couldn't make it up to Montreal be due to COVID travel restrictions. Oh, God. So Stanley Tucci was narrowly not in this film. Um, Weird. Yeah. And, and because of COVID, they couldn't do location shooting. So they built all 135 sets that they use. It's all built. It's all in, on like six sound stages or something like that. That's um, wild. Right? So they did get scientist input on this this is okay folks i i discovered this just before we started recording and this this whole what you're about to hear buck wild to me 
So they had a real astronaut on set during production as an advisor. And on occasion, he would approach Roland Emmerich saying, hey, guys, I mean, that's not really possible. And they told him to just roll with it because it's just a movie. Like, why even have someone then? Not only that, but they're using a real shuttle cockpit that was donated to the film uh, by a museum. And NASA gave them data for using yeah. the cockpit and yeah. like nasa was involved in this film yeah i mean look nasa loves when people do like science and media and they really want to get it they want people to get it right and so for the most part there's not a whole lot of like stuff about the shuttles that i think is particularly classified like it's not like information that they just won't share with people or something like that. It's 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 pretty well known how these things function because they've just had like, you know, thousands and thousands of people working on them and all kinds of different contracting from different companies to build these things and it's it's really a collaborative effort. So a lot of times like that kind of secrecy shows up more in terms of like government secrecy mm -hmm. and not in terms of scientific secrecy secrecy unless it has something to do with like making somebody a boatload of money in the private industry yeah. but you know uh, that's what are you gonna fair. do um so my my final fun fact and this fucking rocked my world in january of this fucking year of our 20, lord 2022, 2022 roland emmerich talked about filming not one but two sequels back to back Oh, wait. In Oh, but in January. So this was before the movie, before had, the movie had been release. released. If he gets the funding, though? No, he won't. No, 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 no. If no. he did, though. No, 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 but he, would, he won't. Because there's no way that he went to, like, fucking Cannes Film Festival, got a bunch of people to, like, invest a boatload of money, all of whom made little to nothing off of this. Matter of fact, most of them probably lost money on this. Yeah. There's no way that people are going to donate to this. Yeah. So I doubt it will happen, but I'm going to just hold it in my heart that it's always oh, a possibility. No. These. Okay, folks, I'm looking at the scores. <laughs> the reviews. I'm looking at the review scores. Uh, and look, there is a special category of like, there is a special category of bad on like IMDb and Metacritic where like, your your numbers dip like way low right like if you see an imdb score of like two out of ten that's gonna be a good movie yeah. because it's so bad it's good these are the these are where the scores get really bad is in the like four to like six if your movie has between a four and a six on imdb you are cream of the crop bad yes in the worst possible way. Would you like to tell the folks at home what the scores are? Yes. All right, folks. From IMDb, we have a 5.2 out of 10. Ooh. So, like, this is directly brutal. down the middle. This is brutal. The, the, I mean, people apparently saw this and said, yep, that was a movie. <laughs> Jesus. Uh-huh. That You did it. That was it. A movie. Metacritic. The... Critics score, 41%. Again, a whole bunch of critics saw this and said, yep, that was barely a movie. The audience score, 4.3 out of 10. Oh my god. 
Oh, this is bad. But it was the number 11 most discussed film of 2022. It's not... We're not done with 20... Are we done? We're not done with 2022, are we? No, it's only May. <laughs> so how did it earn that title already? Is that a rolling position? I mean, I would guess they just started tracking from January on. Uh, okay. All right. We're almost halfway down to 2022. How crazy is that? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I don't like I feel that. feel like I'm getting old. All yeah. right. Rotten Tomatoes has a critic score of 38%. Oh my God. Which is just even worse. And an audience score of 70%? So this Is that could, right? This could be so bad it's good. It could be. It has this potential. Is, it it has, has potential. This has um, lots of CG. This has lots of, you know, explosions and Debris and space and Halle Berry. So, like, it's got a lot of parts okay. to it that could be fun. But it's not going to be good. No, it's not. And okay, and finally, Google gives it a three point four out of five. Literally, just Str just right down the middle, like that was a film. Oh my god! So expectations wise. Yep. Neil, what are your expectations for this film from a science perspective? Oh, specifically from a science perspective, I know that they are going to get a bunch of things wrong. I have been told about some of the atrocious things that they throw in here. Oh, no. And I am excited to explain why they're wrong. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, I, I don't, other than that, like, I can't, they're going to get a couple of things right. Like, they'll probably get, like, some of the, you know, cockpit scenes right for the, the shuttles. Um, they might get some, like, technical details about, like, shuttle takeoff and stuff but like there are some scenes that i am i am aware of from this film that are going to be rough science scientifically speaking so from a film perspective what yeah. are your expectations yeah. i am expecting to want to be drunk through this whole film well lucky for you you brought beer i did bring the beer so i will certainly have a drink or two to be able to make it through i'm so excited. So my expectations, I think my threshold for bad movies might be a little, what, lower, I would say, than yours? I would just say different because my, my like, threshold for a bad movie is, like, I like the movies that are, like, so bad they're good. What's a good example of that? Uh, Fateful Findings by Neil Breen. Oh, sure. Yeah, Neil yeah. Breen in general is... Yeah, yeah. Just, like... A movie that was so, like, also, like, The Room uh. is, like, a really standard example of a movie that was, it was produced in earnesty and just came out really bad. And that's fantastic. I love that kind of film. It's yeah. it's fun to watch. You're trying, but you are failing so hard. Exactly. This movie, they are trying, and they're not quite failing so hard They've just, just done poorly enough that it's like, you know, like, there's like, it's like karaoke. There's two kinds yes. of karaoke that's fun. There's, you get someone who like starts singing and you're like, like blown away. You're like, wow, I had no idea this person could sing that well. Like, this is a phenomenal rendition of this song. Like, hell yeah, I'm getting really into it. Or... You're all really drunk and someone's just awful at it. 
and then it's like a ton of fun, and right? the whole because everyone, along. yeah, because everyone gets into it. Fuck yeah, yeah, everyone just owns it. And it's fun and it's good, right? And then there's the middle ground of like. You kind of probably don't want to be there a lot. You're not a great singer, but you're also not bad. You chose a song that maybe didn't hit well with the crowd. Yeah. And now you're just stuck up there singing something kind of slow and you're not doing it fantastically. Like, you're just... Like, it's just not a lot of fun at that point, right? Like, I feel like that's where this movie is going to be. Or people that take themselves too seriously. Yeah, people Yeah, people who take themselves, like, way too seriously. And I'm including movies in this. Movies that take themselves I think, too seriously. I think this, with a $150 million estimated budget on an independent film, I think this is a movie that took itself way too seriously. And we're going to find that out real quick. Yeah. So, on that note, Neil, should we go watch a movie? Let's go watch a movie. Awesome. We'll be back. We just finished watching Moonfall. And you know what, Neil? What? I had a grand time. You know, okay. I I also, I had a good time. It was fun, right? Straight up and down, this this was a movie. It was a bad movie. It was not a good movie, but it was was definitely a movie. That IMDb rating of 5.2 fucking nailed it honestly <laughs> on the nose just just a smidge better than what i would say is like average like right middle average i don't even know that i would call this better than average i would call this top of the bell curve this is a movie yeah that's fair but i did have fun i was I, expecting absolute garbage i was expecting this to be a more garbage film than it turned out to be so i'm pleasantly surprised that i had a good time i would agree so real quick before we dive in uh-huh thumbs up thumbs down how is the science on moonfall oof big <laughs> thumbs down big thumbs down Are we're gonna saying a movie about the moon falling to earth doesn't have accurate science yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Look, they could have had accurate science and then they did some weird shit with it. So I'm excited. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about some real good science today and then we're going to suspend all belief in in Occam's razor and logical reality and talk about this movie. <laughs> I love it. I am in. These are plans. All right, okay. shall we? I'm ready. Okay. So, Credits up. We are in space. We hear Toto's Africa playing in the ether. As we mentioned before, one of the writers is the nephew of one of the guys from Africa from Toto. So that's why we get this. And I was excited that it happened so early. I I wasn't sure where it was going to be, but I'm glad it was there. It was delightful. So we see astronauts working on a telescope or some sort of satellite satellite um, out there. Patrick Wilson, uh, as we mentioned before, plays Brian Harper. And Halle Berry plays Jocinda. Don't remember her last name. Fowler. Fowler. Thank you. Jocinda Fowler. And uh, Halle Berry, Jocinda, is inside the shuttle. Patrick Wilson, Brian Oh, my God. Let's just go with Brian. Brian is outside with, I don't know what this third person's name is, but he's a red shirt. Yep. We'll just call him red shirt. Sure. So those two are outside. So Brian and Joe are going back and forth. They are clearly friends. He went to her wedding very recently. They've done this several times. Like, they're they're really um, 
They're good friends, and they're he, joking and joshing. He refers to her as his work wife. That's the one. Yep. Which, I mean, I have mixed feelings about the term work wife. Yeah, same. But they seem sweet. They seem like good friends. Yeah, they, they do seem like they get along well. Yes. Um, all of a sudden, the electrical components within the shuttle go crazy. Everything's flickering. Shit's going haywire. And all of a sudden, we see a smoke monster come towards the ship and knock the shit out of Brian and Redshirt. Redshirt is thrown out into space. Side note, literally my worst nightmare. It is an unfounded fear, because I will never go to space, but it is my worst nightmare to be lost in space by myself. It's, I have nightmares about it. It's awful. And I've told Neil this, but folks at home do not ever suggest gravity because we're not going to watch it. It's just not... It's not an option. It was also a bad movie, so I don't feel I don't feel bad about not watching it. I don't feel bad about never seeing it. So there we go. Cool. Back to it. Sorry. So red shirt launched into space. Um, Brian is kind of um, he like wraps he gets wrapped up somehow. Yeah. So his tether, right? Okay. The spaceship gets like hit by this giant smoke monster and starts like spinning, and his tether is getting like like wrapped around this the shuttle and then it suddenly like pulls on him and he goes flying and like smacks himself into the into the shuttle right and he crawls towards the airlock opens the airlock there is a release of pressure yep um which was you know i was like oh i bet you neil appreciates that i did um, so he gets in, he immediately is able to take off his suit, which I find that highly suspicious. Yeah, there's a short, there's a short cut scene. Like, it's just a, he like opens the hatch and like we see the hatch close and then we cut to the next scene. And in the next scene, which appears to be quite literally moments after he closes the door, he is wandering around inside the like cab of the shuttle without his spacesuit on. Yes. This is, this is unrealistic. You shocked me. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So we did not see the airlock repressurize. No, we did not. We did not see the several steps it would take to... Get the suit off. Yeah. Which normally you need someone to help you with, right? You do You do usually need someone to help you get in and out of your suit because it does need to be, like, hermetically sealed in a special way so that you don't lose any air pressure. Like, you can't lose any of this oxygen to, to the environment or you will die. Your body so, is delicate. And, and it would be really tough for you to get all of this stuff latched and and ready to go on your own good good so they were wrong yes (laughs) this process should have taken at least 45 minutes and it took one cutscene. yes one screen wipe and i this is the first of potentially several questions or several issues of science i'm just excited that this happened within the first five minutes of the movie like a smoke monster yeah oh i wasn't even that's fantasy i wasn't even gonna ask about the smoke monster. yeah we're gonna pretend the smoke monster exists and we'll take that as fact and move on yep though i do have a friend who has experience he was a ceo of a nanotech corporation Ah. so if we had more questions about that i could have asked him and i totally forgot but that's fair that's a thing so back to the movie joe jocinda she is knocked out 
and um, Brian comes in and he reaches into a panel and pulls a stabilization lever? Unclear what the lever does. So I think what he's doing here is actually like venting some um, stored like oxygen for the ship. Mm. And it is like it is somehow he has done this in such a way that it is applying counter pressure to the direction of rotation of the shuttle. So he is slowly stabilizing the shuttle. I am unclear whether or not this is something that is on the shuttle. It wouldn't surprise me if something like this existed, but for it to be just the kind of thing that you could get to and then just like turn one direction or the other. I don't know. Yeah, it's it seems a little unlikely, but also like a pretty valuable safety feature in case something like this did happen. It would be nice to have. Yeah. Right? Um. So he so like you said, he gets the shuttle to stop spinning and he looks out the window and he sees the moon and he sees the smoke monster. I'm going to call it a monster, but we don't know what it is, but it's a smoke monster head towards the moon and start a tornado on the surface of the moon in one of the craters. Yep. And cut. <laughs> Next scene. Yep. Flash forward 18 months. We see a house is for sale. The news tells us that Brian Harper has sued NASA for wrongful termination and he has lost his final appeal. NASA says that what happened on the shuttle was human error. He says, no, it's a smoke monster. And they don't believe him for some reason. Um, we see who we assume is Brian's wife. And his son, we know that it's his son, because she says, your dad's having a rough time, which is putting it mildly. We see them packing up, they're going to move, and then we see a video that shows Joe, like, kind of, sort of, not really, but did um, side against him in these trials, saying that it could have been a solar flare that knocked out all of their equipment. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it could have, but... ah. I don't know. So also NASA has really detailed records about all solar flares that happened. And the fact that they ask, could it have been a solar flare and not stated with definitive fact, there was a solar flare at the time that you claim this happened is surprising to me. Yes. So that was a very brief scene. Cause now we're going to flash forward 10 years. So now we've flashed quite a bit. So we are now 11 and a half years in the future. From the smoke monster appearing. Yes. yes. So, Casey, John, not John Snow, oh my god, Sa not Samwise Gamgee, his character name is Casey. Casey, posing as a janitor, breaks into a professor's office at UC Irving. He logs into a telescope in China, China, in Chile, um, and has, calls them, uses an American accent, has them send him their data, posing as this professor. He appears to be a very smart man, Casey, because he has done this before. They are uh, well acquainted with sending the data, not to the normal school email address, to this other email address that they have never verified, I'm assuming. Everything's totally fine. Um, but, so he reads the email that they sent, and he freaks the fuck out this was a pg-13 movie i believe and they use their one f-bomb in this scene oh nice yes where he goes what the fuck um and i was like oh there's your one you only get one you only get one um so he 
NASA and asks to be put through to the director of NASA. And this El- scene is funny. It was it was very good. So he, he says, I need to speak to the director of NASA right now. And the gal sitting in a gift shop says, I can send you to customer service, <laughs> which that's eh, pretty good. That's, that's pretty great. Cute. That's so, great. Joe wakes up uh, from an emergency NASA call. We see that she has a child. And then there is a mystery woman. Uh, is it a roommate? Is it a nanny? We don't find out for an hour over an hour that this is an exchange student. I thought it was a partner. I did too. I'm like, what? What is happening? But no, it's an exchange student from China, which I'm like, disappointed. Yeah. So. Would have been, I don't know, better? Question mark? It would have been more interesting. Certainly. It would have been less immediate pandering to the Chinese government to let this movie air. Oh, is that how they did it? Oh, for sure. That's why okay. they did it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she gets to NASA and everyone is very quietly concerned. They all just sit looking at her silently. Not creepy at all. Everything's fine. They say that the moon's orbit has shifted and it is now coming closer to Earth. Which, Neil, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh-huh. That is not how this works. That is correct. That is that is absolutely not how this works. Um, and now we're going to take, we're going to take a little bit of a, we're going to take a little bit of a detour here. Is this a science break? This is a science break. We do. Science break. Science break. It's science break. Nice. (laughs) Uh, we do need to talk about the moon. All right. The moon is a giant structure in the sky. It is not a mega structure. Oh, we'll get to the mega structure. Which, which is important later, but I need to re, I need to iterate this now. It is not a megastructure, all right? The moon is actually moving away from Earth. What? Yeah, the moon is not uh, The moon is not falling, nor really could the moon ever fall. Uh, it would take a really wild series of events to cause the moon to fall down to Earth. Um, because the moon is actually moving away from the earth by about, uh, an inch and a half or 3.75 centimeters every year. All right. So, uh, the reason it's moving away is because of a process called tidal breaking. The moon is responsible for the earth's tides and the tides, uh, are actually slowing the rotation of earth just slightly every year. So the earth uh, the earth, like a year on earth actually gets longer by a, a little bit more than two milliseconds per century as a result of tidal breaking from the moon. It's slowing the earth. It's slowing the earth's rotation. Yeah. Which is why it's getting further away because it's, it's actually gaining energy. So it is actually taking energy from earth's rotation through tidal breaking and it is gaining that energy and using it to move further away from earth. So eventually it will like get far enough away that the tides aren't really much of a thing anymore. Or if they are, they're much smaller than they've ever been. And then it might actually eventually float away. It might get to a point where Earth's gravitational pull on the moon is not stronger than, say, the sun's, and um, the Earth, uh, the moon will wander off and disappear, and we will no longer have a moon. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, so this is important because, I mean, the tides are really important, and the moon has been moving away from the Earth for, you know, millions of years, 
uh, hundreds of millions of years even, perhaps billions, who knows? Um, And say during the time of the dinosaurs, tides were quite a bit bigger than they are now. They were upwards of like four meters, which is about 13 feet. Oh my God. And I think nowadays tides are maybe about half that size. They're... Oh, I didn't realize like about, that. I think they're about six feet. Someone someone double-checked me on that. I think that's about right, but yeah, I, I, I could be wrong. at Instagram or Twitter at Sci-Fi Problem Pod. All right. So now I want to talk about how much energy the moon, like, represents. All right? And we're going to do this in a couple of steps. The first is, are you familiar with what a jewel is? J-O-O-L-E. No. Damn it. J-O-U-L-E. Oh, so close. Very close. Um, This is a unit of energy in physics, and it is the most standardized unit of energy that physics has, uh, aside from maybe something like a calorie. But we can talk about that a little bit later, all right? I think we might have touched on it briefly in our last episode. Okay. Briefly. So just to give you a scale for what one joule is, if you have an apple sitting on a table... And you pick that apple up and you move it upwards by one meter or about three feet. You have you have done one joules worth of energy. Okay. You have done a joules worth of work on this apple by lifting it um, one meter off the table. All right. So the moon is about uh, is a lot heavier than than an apple. I mean, who'd have guessed, right? Who'd have guessed? Okay, so the moon is actually like 7.3 times 10 to the 22 kilograms. That sounds like a lot. That's a bunch. Great. Uh, uh, That's a lot ten, of apples. 10 to the 22 is 10 billion trillion. Jesus. Yeah. So that we're going to we're going to talk about a couple of things in that measure, which is 10 billion trillion. All right. So um the moon is really big. So the numbers that we're going to talk about in terms of like how much energy the you, uh, the, the moon has aren't, uh, yeah, go ahead. And our moon is also very large compared to our planet size, it, yes, right? It Most is, moons are not this big. It is absolutely. It is the largest, well, it is the largest moon relative to any actual planet in the solar system. Interesting. Yeah. Pluto technically has a larger, like, planet to um moon ratio yeah, but, but pluto's, pluto's not actually a not a real planet unfortunately so, so um the uh, the moon is actually about a fourth the size of uh earth god that is big which is is really big um it's it's enormous actually in terms of um on like in terms of moons most moons are not this big relative to their planets um So because the moon is so big, I'm going to restructure a lot of our energy talk in terms of other fun things like megatons of TNT. And um, that sounds dangerous. Yes. Yes. And be like a lot. It is a lot. Megaton sounds large. Yeah. So right. One jewel is lifting an apple uh, one meter off of a table. One megaton of of TNT is lifting a quadrillion apples one meter off a table. That is a lot of apples. Yeah. It's about, it's, it's like four times 10 to the 15 joules 
per megaton of TNT. That is an unfathomable amount of energy. Yeah, so now what I'm about to tell you is going to blow your mind. Even more. Love yes. it. Yes. Uh, the gravitational potential energy of the moon, which is not how fast the moon moves, it has nothing to do with the kinetic energy of the moon, it has to do with the potential energy of the moon, which is only due to the fact that it is in a gravitational well above Earth. Okay. Okay? It has 17 trillion megatons of TNT in energy. That is a lot of apples. That's a lot of apples. Oh my god. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a boatload of apples. Uh it's also a a boatload of megatons of TNT. That is so much TNT. Uh yeah, that is like if if every dollar were every dollar that the US were in debt were a megaton of TNT, <laughs> that would be about the moon. <laughs> what level of destruction is this amount of TNT? Okay, we'll get there. Okay, good. We'll get there. Love it. Um, the kinetic energy of the moon, which is how, like, the fact that the moon is rotating, okay. right? It does rotate because you, you only ever see the, the front face of the moon. You never see the backside of the moon because mm -hmm. it rotates very, uh, it's, it's a geostationary um, orbit. Well, not quite. It's a tidally locked orbit. Um, geostationary means something a, a little bit different. It means you're, like, above one spot on the earth the whole time oh, and it obviously like, is not it is not yeah it, it does it, yeah it does move around right so it's actually a tidally locked orbit meaning that it rotates just fast enough so that once it completes one cycle like one lap around the earth the moon has rotated exactly one time mm -hmm. okay so the kinetic energy of the moon is um half of the potential energy of the moon. So it's 8.5 trillion megatons of TNT in energy. Jesus. All right. So if you calculate how much, how many Big Mac, like burgers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, we took a hard left turn. Yeah, we took a hard left turn here, but this is a fun one. I'm all right? excited. Great. All right. Okay. So there's, there calories, right? In a, in a Big Mac burger. Capital C calories. Capital C calories. Yep. All right. A lowercase c calorie represents the amount of energy it takes to heat one gram of water by one degree Celsius. Mm -hmm. Okay. A capital C calorie or dietary calorie is a thousand of those smaller unit calories. All right. If you were to try to like say how much, how much energy is this in terms of like Big Mac sandwiches, it's 5 billion trillion Big Macs. Billion trillion? Yes. How many zeros is that? Um, Too many to count? 20, 20, at least 21, maybe 22. That is a lot of zeros. I, it's, again, an unfathomable number. Yeah, yeah, it's not a number that means a whole lot to humans. All right, no. so... It's roughly what uh, Jeff Bezos is worth, right? Uh, not quite. No, okay. But, but I mean, kind of. <laughs> Getting um, there. So let's talk about the actual, like, destructive power of if the moon fell, how much energy, like, how, how, how bad would that be? The answer is extremely bad. Well, yeah. Um, it's a quarter of the Earth's size, you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a quarter of the Earth's size. So let's, for, for a little bit of reference... Um, the entire nuclear arsenal of the United States currently estimated to be about 
4,500 megatons of TNT equivalent in nuclear warheads. That much? 4,500. Megatons. Megatons. Jesus. The gravitational potential of the moon alone is 17 trillion megatons. So, so let me hear, let me see if I'm hearing you correctly, is that we would be royally fucked if the moon fell to Earth. Oh yeah, big time. Okay, good, good, Okay, good. Here's, a, here's another fun fact. The extinction of the dinosaurs, like the mass extinction event, yes. where there was a huge, you know, asteroid that landed in, well, I guess it was a meteor that landed in, like... The Gulf of Mexico Gulf of, area. Gulf of Mexico, yeah, down by the Yucatan Peninsula. Okay, that, that object was estimated to be about 12 kilometers across, okay... The moon is 3,500 kilometers across. Oh, my God. That extinction event had a collective energy of about 100 million megatons of TNT. Only 100 million? Only 100 million. Okay, we're still, tra- we're still talking 17 trillion megatons in just the gravitational potential alone. Okay, total of 22 and a half trillion megatons so uh, sorry 25 and a half trillion megatons of energy that the moon has that's it's just gonna if it falls just it'll be an event unlike anything in human history yeah oh anything, i think that goes without saying yeah, yeah an event unlike anything in the history of earth itself probably yeah. yes since potentially when whatever hit us to create the moon happened right yeah also, not entirely sure whether or not that needed to be as big as the moon. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't even could have been a that. could have been a like slightly larger object. Could have been a significantly smaller one. But if you uh, if you had a smaller object that hit the Earth and then the Earth is all molten, like yeah. you just eject a bunch of molten material into the into sky space. and you get the moon, kind of. I love that theory. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. It so, is It is actually the prevailing theory of how the moon was formed. I think it makes sense. Otherwise, it, what, it's a rock that just stopped right near us. Like It also not... has a, like remarkably similar composition to mm-hmm. older parts of the Earth's crust. That makes sense. And it used to have lava, and that's why we have some of the spots that we can see, the kind yeah. of darker spots. Those mm-hmm. are flat craters. Yeah, crater yeah, yeah. things, so... I remember some of my eighth grade biology class. There you go. Can I ask you a question you may or may not know the answer to? Sure. If the moon did fall to Earth, and maybe yeah. you're going to get to this, would it break the Earth? Like, would, would it crack us like an egg? No. Oh, okay. I'm actually a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it is a little disappointing. But the reason that it wouldn't do that is because of a, a concept called the Roche Limit. R-O-S-C-H. R-O-C-H-E. I was really, uh, really hoping I could get it on the first try. <laughs> yep. So we, we, we've talked now uh, like at length about how much energy like the moon has. So what's going to happen if it actually falls, right? What we'll see is that as it gets closer to Earth, tides are going to start getting really fucked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tides are going to start going up drastically and like maybe even do some really wild things like make one really big ass wave that just goes around the earth because the moon is so much closer. Its pull is so much greater. Yes. Okay. We will also start to see, uh, as the moon gets like really close, 
the Earth's atmosphere is also probably going to slowly be sucked towards the moon. Mm. At like at, a little bit. Right. It, well, and it's and- going to cause issues like wherever the moon is above the Earth, like the level of oxygen at Earth's surface is going to start to deplete pretty rapidly. Interesting. So, like, you would, if, if this happened and the moon came right overhead, you would probably need, like, oxygen tanks in order to, like, continue surviving. Surviving, right. Yeah. And we kind of touched on, in our um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy episode, Yep. we touched on a structure of the size that the um, spaceship that went came to destroy Earth. Yeah. A structure that size would have incredible effects on humans because of the displacement in the atmosphere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we'll get there shortly. Great. Because there's something really important that happens with the Roche limit. Okay. With the Roche limit, as the Earth gets closer to, or as the moon gets closer to the Earth, once it gets within about, it's like 11,000 miles or something and like how that. how far away is it right now? Uh, 239,000 miles. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it's, it's It will, I mean... Not really, but like it's 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 up there. Okay. All right. Um, keep in mind that like the edge of space is, I like ten ten to a hundred miles up. That's fair. It's That's, not very far. Yeah. Like Earth's atmosphere is really close to Earth. Um, but as as the moon gets down and it hits the Roche limit, which is eleven thousand five hundred miles, it is going to completely shatter. The moon is. The moon is going to completely shatter. Really? Yeah. The The effect of Earth's gravity on the near side of the moon is going to be really big compared to effect of Earth's gravity on the far side of the moon. And Earth and the, the crust of, of the moon won't be able to handle that, like, that pull, that difference in tension between the two sides. And it will start to physically rip itself apart. As it gets closer to Earth. So now we're going to have... Assuming it's not made of metal. Uh, yes, assuming it's not made of metal. Great. So now we're going to have just, you know, monumentally sized chunks of the moon that are screaming through, you know, getting closer to Earth. And as these chunks start to enter Earth's atmosphere, you would see the entire atmosphere of Earth start to heat up really quickly. Because all of these objects are going to start to kind of burn up in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And that is, there's going to be so many of them that the, the Earth's atmosphere may actually heat up to a point where it would potentially kill everyone. Oh, no. And maybe even boil oceans. It depends it, it depends on how big the pieces are and how much they burn up and how much they fracture in the atmosphere and stuff like that. Oh, that would not be pleasant. No, it would be really bad, actually. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, And then you're just going to have like, you know, the moon is actually once it tears apart like that, going to turn into a like almost like a ring, like around Saturn. Mm. Um, But that would be like twenty three thousand miles long or something like that. Yeah, it would like kind of almost form a complete ring around Earth. And then all of these pieces would like fall to Earth and completely destroy everything and everyone. And there would be no trace of any life at all left on earth all right that's properly horrifying yeah i won't lie though still a little disappointed well here's a question actually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. would for the moon to split the earth like an egg yeah how would it need to be moving faster would it need to be denser like what would it take 
for um, the Earth to just get smashed to bits. It would take... If you wanted to genuinely smash the Earth to bits, um, you would need to probably have something smaller than the moon mm. or maybe moon size is probably fine you can definitely get away with that it would need to be a lot harder than the moon okay and it would need to be going a lot faster than the moon is straight at earth if you had anything that was coming in really fast like around earth it's probably either going to get like it's going to disintegrate because of its roche limit and then it's going to um these pieces are going to be like slingshotted out past earth so you would need to come in like right at earth pretty directly uh, in order to like like really have a nice smash effect that you're looking for all right yeah all right i'm gonna keep my eye out yeah for something along those lines <laughs> yeah so let me just say in advance one thing we we you wouldn't see is the moon would not cause additional tectonic activity oh. on the surface of earth that is a very specific statement you have there, Neil. It is a very specific <laughs> statement, all right? So we're going to keep our eye out for a few things. We're going to keep our eye out for uh, tides as they as they start to get larger. Excellent. We're going to start to uh, keep our eye out for the moon completely disintegrating. Um, and we're going to keep our eye out for uh, some sort of atmospheric dissipation. Uh, the, the, the earth's atmosphere should actually like start to get a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. It might not be super serious until it got really close, but it would, it would happen eventually. Um, and then we're also going to keep our eye out for like rising temperatures in the atmosphere as there's a bunch of debris starting to, to like fall to, to earth, um, and a lack of tectonic activity are the things that we should look out for. All right. That's a pretty good list. Yeah. So, that's the moon. Those yep. are things we're looking for. Those are things we are actively not looking for. Yes. And now, back to the show. Back to the show. <laughs> okay, so, um, Brian has, uh, oh, no, sorry, we're still with NASA. So, the moon has, orbits has shifted. We see a video that they have of that same smoke monster moon tornado. So now she's like, Joe's like, I wonder if Brian wasn't full of shit. Yeah, actually, it's not even the smoke tornado that they see. It's a giant hole in the crust of, of the moon that is, uh, that is in Mericrisium. Right. Oh, I thought the tornado was on top of that, but I could be misremembering. I don't think the tornado is on top of that in this scene. In they this pull scene. up that video later on. But, gotcha. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Good. So yeah, now that we see a hole in a crater in the moon. Yep. Not supposed to be there. That's a hole not good. in the crater and the moon and the. Yeah. I feel like, and we'll get back to this, but I feel like that crater would have been there a lot longer than they're making it seem. Like there's acting like this is the first time they've seen this. Oh yeah, NASA so. would have known if there was if there was anything facing Earth, and even maybe some stuff that wasn't facing Earth, that was like changing on the moon's surface they would fucking know oh we would know immediately yeah the, like there would be local astronomers who would be like calling people up being like hey like facebook post the moon is changing like what the hell's going on right people would see this so i'm gonna call shenanigans on this being the first time that nasa's noticing there's a giant fucking hole in one of the craters yeah also the fact that like nobody else seemed to notice this no right like what no absolutely not um so 
Brian now. He wakes up in a shitty apartment and he uh, uh, he's late on rent and like his life has apparently fallen apart within the last 10 years. Yep. He's running late to uh, give a speech or, or work with school kids at the Griff- Griffith Observatory. Um, so he heads there and he comes in and goddammit, if Casey isn't there pretending to be him, th- either through omission or outright saying, yes, I'm Brian, whatever the fuck. Um, so Casey is spewing his, his conspiracy theories at these children. And one of them had some sort of smart aleck comment, like, are you sure you're an astronaut? Also, um, uh, are you going to touch on the, on the conspiracy theory now? Um, I, I wasn't going to. No, let's, would you like to? Just, just briefly. I want to mention one of Casey's, uh, conspiracy theories. The megastructure. Yes. Yes. He is a self-proclaimed megastructurist. Like that's a real fucking thing. And believes that the moon is a, is a construct of an alien civilization, which just happens to have like a protective crust around it. So he can't see inside it. How convenient. How convenient. And, um. He doesn't really know what it's for or why it's like why it would be there, but he genuinely believes that it is a structure com- like built by aliens. Right. Like Hollow Earth, I've heard of. Hollow Moon, I guess, wouldn't shock me in that line of conspiracy theories. Yeah. I should have probably looked up any conspiracies about this, but like, is this a thing people actually think? Oh, that the moon is a megastructure? Yeah. Uh. Let me put it like this. I have run into a lot of conspiracy theories revolving around a lot of what I'll call hot takes in science. Love it. And very diplomatic. Thank you. I have never I have not yet run into the moon is a megastructure. I have run into the moon is fake. Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard the moon is a projection. The moon landing was faked. Stanley moon, Kubrick yep. directed it. Yep. I have, I've heard of a lot of these things. Um, I have yet to hear of the moon is an alien megastructure. Okay. I believe you. Y- you should. I wouldn't lie about this. <laughs> Some of the theories that I've come across are really fun. I was trying to think of like a clever way to say that and nothing came to mind. <laughs> it just, my mind went blank. Like, yep, that sounds right to me. Yep. Jesus. Anyway, so, um, so Casey... Like we said, he's telling the kids all these conspiracy theories. He's trying to tell Brian about the moon um, uh, data that he he recently got. He's trying to tell him that the moon is out of orbit, that it's going crazy. And Brian's like, okay, cool, security. And he gets escorted out. Nice. So now Joe is told that the moon is now in an elliptical orbit. This is bullshit, by the way. (laughs) Elliptical just means not circular. All orbits are effectively elliptical. There are, as far as I know, no perfectly circular orbits in our solar system. The Earth's is remarkably um, is 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 remarkably circular, but it it, it there is some uh, eccentricity to it. Is the Moon's orbit around the Earth elliptical, or is that a cir- circular? Uh, it is eccentric. I don't know what that means. It means that it's 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 an it's an oval. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's kind of like an elliptical. Yeah. Hold on. Before we go too far, let me just let me just make sure. Yeah. Uh, elliptical orbit. Yep. 
It's a, elliptical just means that it's an oval. Okay. It has two foci. Foci. Yeah. I'm going to name my next dog foci. That's great. It's plural for focus. My dog better have ADHD, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, elliptical orbit, absolute bullshit. But they say explicitly that it will circle the Earth three times before pieces start raining down because of the Roche limit. Limit. Yeah. I know you literally just said those words and they were already gone. You know, it's all right. I was going to say Rorschach, Rorschach test, and that's absolutely not the same yeah, thing. Absolutely it is not. No. So anyway, so because of the Roche limit, big pieces of the moon are going to rain down on the Earth after it circles the Earth three times. I don't know why, but their specificity really gets me with this. Also, like, I don't understand why they chose the language they did for this. They had an astronaut. They did. They had it like, remember, folks, they had an astronaut on staff consulting on this movie. And they chose the words, the moon has entered an elliptical orbit, which is patently false because the moon is already in an elliptical orbit. Right. It is like ellipt like again, elliptical just means oval. They should have said something like. It's the, in a square the, orbit. <laughs> the moon is on a crash course with Earth. More descriptive and more accurate. And yeah, like yeah. I just I just don't understand why they chose some of the language they did. It is really funny when they're trying to sound smart. It makes them sound dumber. That's like the story of my fucking life. Though. Funny how that works. Right. Right. Um, OK, so. What am I talking about? Great. So now now is where we see there's a hole in the crater. Now is where they get video confirmation of a hole in the crater. Um, and so here's... Okay, nope. Ignore that. Focus on one thing at a time. Then everyone's phones start going off. And there is a huge push notification. The entire world apparently is talking about the moon's orbit is off. The moon is going to crash into Earth. KC has somehow alerted the entire world how later on in the movie he says i put it on social media it must have gone viral fuck you that is not how viral works how many really good science papers are out there right now that are just absolutely lost to google like, you can't find this information it would be buried fuck you continue i was just gonna say like it Especially if he is, like, well-known as someone who is a conspiracy theorist, there is absolutely no way that, A, this, like, really gains traction on social media, and B, that this makes it into, like, conventional news reporting media where, quote, an anonymous source says the moon is falling, no. end quote. He says he posted his data, so maybe... I'm not giving people enough credit, but I don't think anyone would read that. He would have to be the most compelling writer on the face of the earth to make that amount of data sound plausible, let alone reach a level of of acceptance where everyone gets a push notification on their cell phone. Yep. So that's my complaint. It's not science, but it is frustrating. Um... So, oh, here, I, I said, it's not impossible, but I find it unlikely. <laughs> anyway, 
neither here nor there. So now NASA announces to the world that they are going to send a rocket to the moon to figure out what's going on. Um, also, just a side note, the world order breaks down incredibly fast. This is maybe a couple days after that push notification went out yep. and there are fires. There is looting. Everything is in up in flames. Like not literally, but a lot of it is. But like there's there's chaos reigning right now. And yep. um, that's I don't know enough about human socio psychology to uh, to know how fast it would take the world order to break down. I know it's not very long, but I don't know. It's just interesting. It, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I genuinely don't know what I would do if I received, if I received a, a notification saying that like the entire planet is just going to be vaporized yeah. in three weeks. I would probably not change anything until like, it's very clear we're not getting out of this. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Like, I don't know. We've we've gone through a couple things at by our age now where we thought the world was ending and it just didn't. So yeah. I'm just going to sally forth as if nothing is wrong. Ride, Sally, ride. Super healthy. Mm -hmm. um, OK, so like I said, they're sending a rocket to the moon to figure out what's going on. They do confirm to everyone that the moon is out of orbit. Yep. So that's. A bold statement that I'm not sure our government would actually do. Eh, unsure. Yeah. Uh, astronauts get there very quickly. The They drop a probe into this crater, and it goes down 25.6 kilometers, which is very far, right? Um, I'm very it's bad less than it's, it's It's like 20 miles. All right. Well, that's still pretty, pretty big. I mean, like, yeah. But, but you said that the moon is wider across than Australia. That's correct. So that's actually not very deep at all. No. Okay. Never mind. You could just say, Emily, you're wrong. I mean, like, it's deeper than we've ever been into Earth's crust. Oh, that's a fair point. Okay. So, like, it's not a negligible distance. Like, I think the... But we're the, not nearing the center of the moon. Uh, no. Yeah. Not, not even remotely. You're not even... I mean, you're probably... You're not even 10% there. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Not even 1%. Well, you're just over 1% there. Okay. It, About 2% there. They Maybe it's because they made it sound like it's super duper deep. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not. Good to know. Um, So they drop this probe. It stops at 25.6. Like, it could have gone farther, but it comes right back out by weird sand smoke monster, shoots the probe out, the monster goes after... The rocket that's there, the smoke pierces the shuttle, and it kills the astronauts on live feed back to Houston. And actually, the CG here was kind of cool. The smoke monster gets, like, these kind of tentacles, and then it just smashes through the helmet, in, and it, it devours the faces or crushes the skulls of the astronauts. Yep. Unclear, but it was kind of cool looking. It, yeah. I didn't find it particularly realistic. No. No. Um, but it was horrifying nonetheless. Yeah. Yep. And we should mention now this, the second time we've seen the, I'm what I'm calling the smoke monster, but when you get a close up of it, it does kind of look like geometric. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where it's not 
smooth like a candle smoke, but it kind of has fluid movement. It's yeah. hard to describe. It's hard to just, like, yeah. So, just something interesting for the folks at home. Um, so, back on Earth, Casey, God bless him, is hosting a speech of some sort in the, the I'm going to call it gracefully a ballroom. I don't think. In, in a convention room, in an office space, in a it's, hotel. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a, like a... A conference room in a hotel. It, there, yes, it's a conference room in a hotel with what can only be described as internet crazies. Yeah, and just he's... a smattering of people who are who are big in the conspiracy theory community in right. this alternate reality. There's one old guy who references um, JFK's assassination. Assassination. Yeah. Um, why can't I think of his Oswald. name? Oswald. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, there's a guy who is apparently very high, like kind of a hippy-dippy yeah. conspiracy theorist. Yep. There's a handful of people that are just weird. And Casey's like, we, this is the greatest minds on the planet in this room, and we need to figure out a way to fix the moon. And it's it's kind of funny. I like it. Um, he does reference something I was hoping you could explain to me. Yeah. A Dyson sphere? Yeah. I do not remember the context, but I remember thinking, that sounds like a term Neil would know. I do, yeah. Um, so Dyson spheres are a a concept in kind of science fiction for the most part, although the, I think they were first proposed by um, uh, actually a scientist named Dyson. Um, Story checks out. Yep. Who effectively said, like, it, it could be possible to build some sort of structure around a star such that uh, you capture all of the energy released by that star. Oh, a star like our star? Like, like the our, sun? Like the sun. Oh, wow. The sun is a, a really large example of a star. Um, there are lots of much smaller kinds of stars. Um, but the idea would be, like, once humans or once any sort of technologically advanced civilization have gotten to the point where they need to source more power to, uh, you know, sort of fund the things that they need to do. Um, at some point they would think, why not harness all of the available energy from the nearest star? Um, and you know, they might choose to do it from some other star that is nearby, but, you know, smaller and not essential to life on their home world or something like that. But you build some sort of massive structure completely containing um, a star and then and then harvest all of that energy and send it elsewhere. Um, they're not particularly practical. Um I mean, they'd have to be huge. Yeah, they need to be huge. They require uh, just a, you know, a pretty immense amount of resources to the point where you would need to probably har like harvest all of the available resources in your solar system to make this happen. And then on top of that, um, they're not super stable because the star is moving through space. So you would need to construct this like in the orbit of the star. And then you have to kind of get around the fact that now you have this giant megastructure, which is constantly being pulled towards the center of this or towards this star that needs to, it needs to be able to withstand that pressure. 
Um, and one way that you could try and get it to withstand that pressure is to spin it. Um, but spinning it doesn't always work because now you have like two parts of, of the structure that actually aren't spinning, right? The top and the bottom. And those parts would just become weaker relative to the, the parts at the, at the equator, you know, the axis around which you're, you're spinning. And you would kind of get it, it would probably collapse a little bit. So they're not super practical. They are very interesting. Um, and there are some other kinds of, um, some other things out there that you could do, like a Dyson ring, um, which if you're, if you're interested in seeing some like actual sci-fi concepts of these, actually Star Trek has an episode where there's a Dyson sphere. Awesome. Um, it's actually Star Trek, the next generation. And that might not be the only instance of Dyson spheres in Star Trek. Um, but it's one of the only ones that I know about. And then for Dyson rings, um, actually, uh, Larry Niven wrote a series called ring world, which, oh, I've uh, heard of that. yeah, is sort of a Dyson ring, um, but it's actually a giant ring that is placed at kind of like Earth's distance away from a, a star, and it's just a continuous band all the way around this star, and then they spin that ring to generate the gravity on the ring. So now instead of having one planet's worth of land area, you have all, you know, 93 million miles times pi. Oh, right? that's really It's really cool. It's a really cool concept. Um, Ring world. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but so the, the, those are some like classic science examples of, of where you could find these things. Or you can just go check out the Wikipedia page for Dyson Spheres. They're neat. And I bet you'd be a good read. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, good. Thank you very much because uh -huh. I was not sure that that was a real thing. They are. Um, okay, good. So... As he's speaking, um, the ocean starts to rise up over the beaches and floods L.A. Yeah. It's the thing that you were talking about. It is. The, the, they were right. This is a good science movie. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of Let's ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> what we do see is that the tide has started to rise in L.A., Quite drastically. Yes. By, by like, many feet very quickly. Yes. The boats from the harbor flood into the city proper. I'm not sure it would happen this fast. Oh, okay. I think this is... I think this might be a little too much too quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's unclear how much time has passed and how close the moon actually is to Earth at this point. You know what would really help us to know this? Is if they would ever show us the moon or if they would ever tell us like at nasa headquarters the moon's at 35 you know thousand miles and closing yeah that's really like, close but but like any any telling us anything about where it is show even in the background of a scene having it on the horizon would help so much clearly yeah. the moon must be near la at this point if yep. the tide is coming in this much yep. but we do not see it nope and it is infuriating because yep. it would be so cheap it's just a picture of the moon a little bigger than normal yeah. That's literally all I would need. You just put the moon near the horizon and then it looks a little bigger than normal. That's all you need. That's all you need. Or 
tell us, like you said, have NASA, they're tracking this anyway, have NASA tell us how far away it is so we can at least kind of gauge, oh, that's way closer than the last time you mentioned it. Yeah. So these are complaints I have, but that's neither here nor there. It's a Roland Emmerich film, and that's what we signed up for, and that's what we're getting. True. Did you have more to say? Uh, Just that, I mean, like, we are starting to see the beginnings of some good science. Some. Let's hope it lasts. I have every confidence that their good science streak is only beginning. You are a person of more faith than I. <laughs> good. So, um, oh, I also really wanted to mention, because this is the first, like, disaster scene that we've had. Yeah. Um, for how much money they put into this movie. Like, $150 million is not the most money that a movie can cost, but it's not nothing. Yep. The CG does not look good. No, it's quite... It's not It's not handled by what I would call, like, a major studio. Yeah. And it's not great. No, like, it's, the lighting is off on the water or and compared to the buildings, compared to the sky. It looks like... You know how, like, sometimes when you... Google pictures of like science fiction or fantasy like landscapes. You get these like hyper saturated images of like the moon and, you know, just like things being a little bit like the details, not super great, but like you get the picture and like it, it's nice because it, it, you know, is clearly not reality. That's very much so the kind of idea I get here is like, OK, it's like pretty good. You know, some of the physics is all right. Like, you know, they're doing a good job with like moving some of the structures around with the animation and mm. like some of some of the things that they're animating look OK. Like, I know that that's a boat. Boats for scale, you know, boats for scale is such a thing, you guys. It's also such a thing specifically in this movie. Yeah, there are just boats in places that there don't need to be boats. Nope. that probably there shouldn't be boats. I Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But. That's like the the vibe that I get is that the animation in this film is almost always intended to be like, hey, this isn't real. No. Yeah. I know you were worried, but don't. But this is this not is, real. This is this is fantasy. <laughs> oh, my God. It really is on par with um, Roland Emmerich's other film, 2012. Um, I don't remember. Oh, Did you see that? I one? have seen that yeah. one. Yeah. So it, it feels a lot like that. Yep. Like he started so strong with Independence Day and it's just been ticking down little well, by Independence little. Independence Day was great. It was so good. And again, uh, Day After Tomorrow, one of my favorite movies. Like, not good, but I fucking love it. Yeah. So neither here nor there, but that was also complaining. So now um, I didn't mention, but Brian came to this hotel to talk to Casey about the moon being out of orbit because he's the one that found it before NASA. He's like, how did you know? And now they are trapped in this hotel together. Um, and they kind of form a beautiful bromance. It's kind of sweet. It is kind of sweet. Right? Good friendship. Um, anyway, so back at NASA. I, again, I should have written down more dialogue around this line, but I was so hypnotized by this line that she says, this is all I wrote down. She says, this is everything we feared about AI. Oh, because they're talking about the smoke monster. Right. They're saying the smoke monster is nanotechnology. Yep. They're reviewing footage of the of this thing destroying the 
you know, tech pods that they sent up there and the rover and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And, and, those and killing astronauts. the astronauts. Yes. And they are reviewing that footage and, like, scrutinizing it. And they notice, like, hey, this looks like some remarkable sentient AI nanotechnology nonsense. And this is everything we feared about AI. <sighs> Neil, do you have any thoughts about that phrase? Look, there is a lot of talk in, the, in like, the kind of conspiracy or worry about AI community about specifically machine learning technology going too far and learning algorithms becoming sentient. Mm-hmm. We do not have the capability for this to happen. I literally just finished a machine learning and AI course. There are two courses. Yeah. And granted, they're introductory courses, so uh-huh. I don't, I'm not a professional, but based on what I can tell... This is not a concern right now. (laughs) I I do not believe that there is genuinely anybody out there who is concerned that this is going to happen. No. Who knows anything real about this topic. That's the key point. There are some really cool advanced like machine learning uh, algorithms out there that are capable of doing some remarkably complicated things. Are they sentient? No. No, they're not. They don't make decisions for themselves. They they act on input and they need a training data set. If they do not have a training data set, they cannot succeed. There needs to be some sort of loss function that you try to minimize in order to make a series of weights and biases that come out and give you some sort of result at the end. Either that result is a classification or it's some sort of a continuous prediction in a range. Like you can't just get them to just start doing things that like they've not had any any training on outside of the scope of the experiment. There are some things that are kind of neat where like you can tell a computer like, hey, give me a picture of, I don't know, a clock with a man's face sipping on a cup of tea. And the computer may have, the the algorithm probably has never actually seen some sort of picture of a clock with a man's face sipping on some tea, but it will damn well give you one. Yeah. But only because it learned how to associate words with these structures that we, like, we would expect to see in the picture. Right. It is not because it has, quote unquote, like, learned how to be sentient and have a real imagination. No, it doesn't know how to do this. So we can't say with any certainty that this is an issue that will never come up, but it is nowhere near a pressing or urgent issue. No. If, like, we are reaching the edge of Moore's Law, which, okay, for those of you who don't know what Moore's Law is. Hello. um, Moore's Law says that for every X amount of years, uh, technological advances will, like, double and they will have in size so like generally speaking you say like every i don't know two to five years you expect that the amount of computing process like computer processing power doubles and the size of the object will have so you get this like law where you get like a lot of computing power in very small spaces and we are actually reaching the theoretical limit of that which is how small can you make a transistor uh, 
And the answer is we've made them in labs to be one atom big. Jesus. Yeah. They have now come up with transistors that are one atom. How? I don't know. Transistors are magic to me. I mean, this the is, whole thing is This magic. is an electrical engineering phenomena that quite literally is magic. I, I believe it. Folks at home, if you can explain to us how they did that in four sentences or less, please email us at here's the problem podcast at gmail.com. Actually, if you can even do it in more than four sentences, let me know. Yeah. If you can make that at all digestible, find us. We would love to know. Yeah. So, great. That is good to know. Um, okay, so now we know that Smoke Monster is potentially AI Smoke Monster. Yep. Um, Joe's boss, the director of NASA, quits, hands her his badge, and says, it's all you now, kid. If you have questions about, um, I guess, the Harper trials, Brian Harper, that's his name. If you have questions about the Harper trials and, like, what we know about this smoke monster, go to this far-flung basement in Washington, D.C. They'll be able to tell you everything we know about the moon. Yep. She's like, what do you mean everything we know about the moon? So she goes there. She finds a video of from Brian's helmet cam from the day of the accident when she and Brian were up there. And it very clearly shows the smoke monster. And she's like, oh, they just scapegoated him yep. and I helped them do it. That's a shitty thing to do. Um, so and then here comes everybody. Donald fucking Sutherland. Donald Sutherland, who, again, got his own title card in the opening of this movie. This is his only scene. He comes in in a wheelchair for unmentioned reasons. We meet him sitting at his desk, loading one bullet into a revolver. And then he comes out to talk, not to talk, to monologue to Joe about what they found on the moon in 1969 when um, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong... And the other one, I can never think of his name. I also always forget the third guy. Don't at me if you're listening, sir. I don't care. So, he says that they found um, advanced, advanced technology on the moon. And and it's been the world's biggest cover-up that it's not gotten out. They're just like, oh no, we just went to the moon and it was a dusty, rocky plane. Super interesting. No, it wasn't. Advanced technology. It's kind of hand-wavy, but that's exactly what he said. Yep. Um, and then, when he's done with that, again, two-minute scene, he says, I have very pressing matters to attend to at my desk. Goodbye. Presumably to go kill himself. Like, that was the entire, entire scene with him. Yep. Ah! It's crazy. He got a starring title card, Neil. Uh, look, I don't even know who this guy is to begin with. Do you remember the TV show 24? Nope. Okay. Well, the guy who starred in that, Kiefer Sutherland, this is his dad. Huh. He was in the original Body Snatchers back in 1968. Haven't seen that either. We should. It's not a science fight. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it is, Neil. It's fine. I won't make you do it, but I'll think about it. But he's an actor. He's been around forever. Okay. Personally, I know him from the Pride and Prejudice movie with Keira Knightley. He plays Mr. Oh. Bennett. I'm familiar with that movie. He plays I haven't her seen it. Oh, well, you should. It's beautiful. Sure. Not a sci-fi movie, but yep. if it was, one one spaceship, that's all I would need. It's going on the list. 
But it doesn't. It doesn't have a spaceship. Neither here nor there. Hi, friends. This ends part one of our review of Moonfall. And it is crazy so far. Yeah, it's been a wild ride, and we're not even that far into the movie, actually. So So We will be back in two weeks. I promise we'll have the rest of the episode, and we'll discover if the moon actually falls or not. Um, So... You can find us on all the social medias, basically. You can find us at Sci-Fi Problem Pod, S-C-I-F-I Problem Pod, P-O-D. That's Instagram and Twitter. Neil, where else can people find you? Uh, If you're not listening to my dulcet tones here, you can find me on a uh, D&D live action podcast called Bad Rolls Out. Uh, That's... Pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, as far as I can tell. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we have a good time with that, just uh, just playing a little D&D campaign. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at that underscore Higgs underscore guy. H-I-G-G-S. Yeah. Uh, what about you? You can find me on Twitter. I am at that girly gal. I am on Instagram. I will not check it. I'm very sorry. So... Yeah, also, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating, review, subscribe to all of our episodes so you don't even have to think about it when we have new episodes, it'll get right in your podcatcher. The reviews, not just for our ego. If you give us a five-star review especially, and if you can write a review that would even help us even more, that just helps us get uh, discovered by anyone else. We get picked up by the algorithm, and more people can come find us and hang out, and we think that would be super-duper fun. Neil, is there anything else you'd like to say to the folks at home? Uh, enjoy your science, folks. We'll see you in part two.